Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Braveheart Podcast. It's Wesley here, and our heart behind this podcast is to create gospel-centered content that helps you walk in freedom. Freedom in your relationship with the Lord, freedom from sin, and freedom to love people like Jesus does. And we do this through creating messages and content that are focused on Jesus and who he is and what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's yet to do in this amazing gospel story. In this episode, Peter shares on the eternal gospel, and he goes into some of the dangers of moving on from the gospel message and the joy and the freedom and the life and peace that's found through just dwelling on the eternal gospel. So I hope you enjoy Thank you. Wow. You know, being in ministry and around so many amazing men and women of God in worship, I think one of our biggest challenges um, is remaining humble towards the Lord. It can be really easy um, to become so familiar with God that we, we lose our innocence. We lose our sense of wonder. We lose our sense of of just awe of who is in our midst. Um, I don't know when it was, but I, I realized some time ago um, an aspect of me that I would, I would fondly look back on previous seasons of my life and talk about the good old days, even the good old days with God. You know, the good old days with God. Remember when it was just simpler? Remember when it was just brand new? And, and one day I was sitting on my couch in my living room, and this was a few years ago. I had maybe three kids. I have five now. And I was sitting on my couch. I love the afternoon sun, by the way. Like in my house, the afternoon sun comes in, and I love to just like, if it happens, it's pretty rare. But there's no kids in my house. <laughs> it's quiet. I get like a, like a Earl Grey tea. Open up a little John Eldridge, and just read and just sit there. And anyway, it was one of these times I wasn't reading. I was sitting there, and and uh, and God said, "You know, you're living in answers to prayers that you prayed a decade ago." And He like He just like grabbed my attention in that moment. It was just a normal, I was just, I took just a little Selah in my day, just, and he just grabbed me, and he says, you're living, and he, and he began to one by one show me how when I was pursuing my soccer career in Finland, and I would pray to God and say, Lord, I want to be married one day, I want to have kids one day, I want to, you know, I want to be, you know, whatever, and he began to line by line show me that these little short prayers and in, in, in desires of my heart that had gone up to him in secret, I was living in. And, and what's strange about that is you can be living in answered prayers and still be dissatisfied. Because I think there's something about our culture that's like, and I know maybe I feel like I do this a lot, but it's, it, it, to me, to me, 
Instagram and social media is a microcosm of our culture. It, it represents more, it's not about the thing. It's not about the, social media is great in its, in its own way. But, but what it represents, you, you can see on one of those little squares the most radical testimony or revelation or truth. <laughs> like someone could spend thousands of dollars producing a video and you're like, oh, that's cool. Hey, look at that. And you just go to the next one. And, and I, think, I think our journey and our life in God has become that way. We're like, wow. You saved me. Now what's next? Wow, you answered this prayer. Now what's next? And the problem with doing that in the Christian faith is I think one of the ways God works is those answered prayers were not intended to be one moments that you skip on by like a rock across the water. Every one of those answered prayers, every one of those breakthroughs, not just in your own life, but in your brother's life, in your sister's life, in the, in the lives of the people around you, every testimony represents in some ways, if I could say it this way, like a, like a bottle of aged wine that God gives to you and he intends for you to actually like sit down with it at a table with him and to fellowship with him around the thing that happened. Why? Because the, the thing that happened is just the doorway into fellowship. And yet we've gotten so consumeristic with our gospel and with our faith that we're like, okay, what's next? What's next? And, and I, wanna like, I want us to, to sailor our hearts a little bit because I think if we constantly live with what's next, you're gonna miss out on the beauty of today. See, some of you feel so distracted and anxious, not because you're not where you're meant to be, but because in your consciousness you're living in another reality. You're living in some future thing of like what's possible and what's next and what could be. And, and I understand that we're a prophetic people. And I'm gonna speak to the prophetic people, the people who, who see what's to come. And, and what can be hard about being a prophetic person is that you, you begin to see what's to come and you begin to live out in what's to come and you actually forget and miss what's right before you. And I know sometimes there's a tension in that, right? Like God, there's, there's times where he invites us to begin to fellowship with him on what's to come and to begin to intercede and pray and labor in prayer and that, that's right and good, but to the extent that the, that, that the future realities that he shows you begins to consume the fullness of your time and attention internally that you cannot stop and love your brother, that you can't put your hand to the plow to the basic chores and assignments that you have today, that's when we're having an issue. You know, I was pondering this actually yesterday and I was thinking about um, how, how 
uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines and Magnolia and all these people, these shows, these fixer-upper things, they become so popular. And I was just wondering, like, the Lord was speaking to me about this, and I was kind of asking him, like, why, why is it so, why are we so drawn to these rooms and these homes that Chip and Joanna put together? What, what is it that, that, like, you're like, wow. And I felt like the Lord said, he goes, it's more than just the aesthetic beauty of what they're doing. Deep down, there's this cry in us that wants to just live and move and have our being in a defined space. Like, our souls weren't necessarily meant to constantly forever be looking to the new frontier, to the new frontier, to the new frontier. Like, you're not, you're not necessarily wired only for that. Like, part of us is craving a boundary lines that fall for us in pleasant places. And I think what's so drawing about that show and about what they're doing is it, it's a physical representation. We can see boundary lines that are pleasant. And to us, it represents a space where we don't have a bunch of chores to do, where we don't have a bunch of things to do. It's like the space is now finished. The, the boundary lines are finished. And now we think, when we look at that, it awakens something. We go, man, I could actually live in that space. I could actually dwell in that space because everything has kind of been put in place and we would finally come to rest and go, okay, 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 now we can get about the business of living. And that's really, I think, what our hearts are longing for. You guys, am I making any sense? I believe our hearts get so thirsty to just live in the moment with God. And so I want to speak to that some this morning. I want to, I want to speak to that dynamic of, of, of our hearts. And I want us to really, by the Spirit, let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts this morning and really begin to expose places in our heart of, of striving, places in our heart of fantasizing. One of the Proverbs that comes to mind, it says this, it says, he who works his land will have an abundance of food, but the one who chases fantasies comes to lack or has no sense. Psalm 16 talks about that the boundary lines, the boundary lines have fallen for you in pleasant places. And I want you just for a moment to take 30 seconds and I want you to examine where God himself has actually drawn a boundary line. And it's not necessarily geographical, though I, I think it is, I think part of the boundary lines represents the people that he's given you. So I want you to just take a minute and go, Lord, can you show me the boundary lines that have fallen for me in pleasant places? Can you see it? Can you find the pleasantness in that defined space? 
I want to bless you. I want you to know that within those boundary lines, no matter how big or small it may seem, there are good works prepared for you. Ephesians 2. 2.10. You are God's poem. You're his workmanship. You're his poema. That's what he says. He says, you're my poem. He says, you were created in me for good works that I prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. I love, I love walking with God because the yoke is easy and the burden is light. I love it. I love being a son of God. I love it. I love it. I have, I, I, I am gaining more and more energy every month that goes by in my Christian walk. Every month of labor in God, I'm gaining more energy. I'm, 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 I'm gaining more wind in my sails. I'm not, I'm not, there are times where I can, I can be tempted when I get in my flesh to begin to bout fatigue and tired and this and that, but for the most part, overall, if I look at the arc of my journey in God, I love him more today. I, I, I'm in awe of him more today. And, and the key, I believe the secret to living a, a life from glory to glory is to find his yoke that is easy and his burden that is light. And cultural Christianity and a religious Christianity will put burdens upon you that you cannot carry, that zap your joy. They will make you joyless. And guys, I want to tell you, I believe God is awakening his bride to truly be joyful. Like real joy. Real joy. Not like fake emotional in a moment. Like it's easy. <clears throat> I love the joy when the drums are banging. That's real. It is real. But I'm also... I'm also in additionally talking about the joy that shows up through trials. The joy that shows up in hard things. The joy that shows up when Judas betrays you. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the heart of God. I think God wants to do a couple of things in this, hour, in this hour with us. Number one, I heard this phrase the other day. I've never heard him say this to me. He said, heal the wound. Heal the wound. What? Heal the wound. <clears throat> Many of you, you just living, walking around with wounded hearts. You, you, you are trying to have faith in God, and yet your, your heart has a gaping wound that's bleeding out. And God wants to heal the wound. God is able to heal your broken heart. And I want to, I want to tell you this morning, many of you, you, you don't know what to do with the pain in your heart. You haven't known what to do. And you've tried to go to like have more faith and it, and it, it's like a balm, it, like it helps for a little bit, but then it doesn't seem to fully like touch that deep place in your heart. Anyone? 
And, and so there's two aspects to this that I want you to see. There's faith working through love. Faith working through love. These are the hash marks for the Christian faith. You have faith working through love. They're like, a, like an airplane. You cannot fly if you don't have faith as one wing and love as the other wing. And the Holy Ghost is that engine that just... But this is why so many Christians go in circles is because they just have one or the other. And they can, they, can be, they can have the power of the Holy Ghost and they got this chicken wing over here of love and they're like strong in faith and they're like, and like why do you keep going in circles? <laughs> or you've got the love people and they're like, wow, we just need to, you know, we just need to sit and, and get alone with the heart. And, and yet the, the love people with no faith the love people with no faith, they, they can sometimes just leave you in your mess. They just love you with no hope that like there's power, that there's healing, that there's life, that there's resurrection, right? Like it's not a, it's not a, it's not a competition, but the Christian faith promises both. It promises like, like triumph and victory and dominion over sin and death and darkness, amen, does it not? Come on, victory over the world. And yet it also promises a whole heart. It, it, God knows how to deal with our pain. And it's not a competition, and it's become like a civil war in the church. You've got the faith people, and they're like, you're just, oh, you got, ah. and then you've got like the inner healing heart people, like, no, we just need to slow down and deal with our hearts. And it's like, it's not a competition. They go together. Imagine that. And I think sometimes if we're in faith, we get like tempted, weirded. We're like, no, no, we just have, like, it's not that. And then the inner healing people are like, no, it's not that. And Jesus is Lord. He's a good head. He's a good master. You know, in my life, <clears throat> these two things represent kind of hash marks for me. They're, they're, they're litmus tests for, for how healthy I am. Um, every one of us should desire a strong living faith in God. Um, a, a strong faith, you can have a strong faith, you can have a weak faith. Faith can be shipwrecked. You can depart from the faith. Jude verse three said, I wrote, I wrote to you so that you would contend for the faith. Paul wrote in Philippians, he says, man, I, when I come and find you, I hope that, you're, that you're, you're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, having one spirit and one mind, amen? So there's this aspect of the faith of the gospel, the faith of Christianity that requires gospel-centered teaching in the ministry of the gospel that takes your mind off of you and puts it onto Christ. Your faith will be weak if your eyes are on you. So your faith journey, watch this, your faith journey hinges upon what you look at and what you listen to. So if I meet someone who's really insecure and who's bound up in sin, and they're constantly getting like caught in comparison. 
I know that I know that I know that they're not looking at Jesus and they're not listening to his word. They're looking at themselves and they're looking at others more than they're looking at him and his gospel. Because, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So when you hear the word of Christ, what does it mean to hear the word of Christ? This is where we're going to, I'm, I'm staying high. We may take the airplane down a little bit and back up and we'll go. But to hear the word of Christ is to, is to hear it both taught and proclaimed, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the priesthood, and the return of Jesus. That is the gospel. When you hear the word, the gospel of Jesus, you need to think beyond just the Sunday school Easter message that you maybe grew up hearing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of who this man is and what he has done, is doing, and will do to save mankind. The, the gospel is triune, past, present, and future in nature. Why? Because Christ himself is all in all. He's alpha, he's omega. He's the lamb of God, he's the high priest of God, and he's the bridegroom. And these, these aspects to who he is represent nuance to his saving power. Oh, <laughs> Have you, ever, have you ever wondered why people like me, they pause like that? Love rejoices in the truth. So when you say something true and, and loving people such as yourselves don't jump up and do a little spin, you know maybe you didn't hear, fully hear or understand the truth. Because love, love goes, Whoa! <laughs> Wow, love does that. And you guys are full of love. So the only conclusion we make is, whoa, they must have not understood that. Because <laughs> I know you're loving. <laughs> I saw you loving on God. That is the appropriate response to truth, rejoicing. Wow. This is what I'm talking about, staying humble staying innocent towards the truth. The moment you become prideful and conceited spiritually, you can no longer rejoice in the truth. You can examine the warmth of your love based on how you respond to truth. You can know what condition your heart. In the last days, the love of many will grow. How do you know your heart is growing cold? You hear a truth of the everlasting gospel, and you go, yeah, I've heard that before. You, oh, you heard that before. Okay. Oh, okay. Can I mess with y'all a minute? You will die with that mindset. You won't make it to the end. I'll tell you right now, as a loving father, you will not make it. If, if you say, oh, I've heard that before, and it's the everlasting truth of the gospel, any measure of it, any measure of Christ's work and salvation, no matter how many times you hear it, 
what it tells me is that you've now, you've believed the lie that you need something new. <clears throat> I believe that the, the fullness of the atomic power of God is bound up and pent up in the gospel. You know why? Because my Bible tells me in Romans chapter 1, and it has always told me, ever since I've known it, <laughs> that the gospel is the power of God. The power of God. The gospel is, it's not mincing words. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is. So when you hear the gospel and you're like, oh yeah, I know that, you have now gone off on some weird road where you're just trying to compile revelation and compile new things and do it all yourself. And if we're not careful as a people, we will, we will inadvertently train speakers and teachers. Like, there's a temptation to feel like you have to have something new because we don't honor the everlasting. So it requires humility, childlikeness, to hear that Jesus died for you and to know that there is a measure of God's spirit and affection and love. Watch this. You may know it intellectually, but there's a measure of his love and his affection in hearing it again today that you've never tasted before. Imagine the thought of like, oh, he died for me, and you're like, oh, yeah, I know. What do you mean you know? What does that mean you know? What does that mean? Imagine my wife coming home. She's like, I love you. And I'm like, I know. It's the same. That's the same. It's the same. Baby, and she, and she said, hey, can I tell you? And she sits me down. She's like, I remember when we got married, 2007. And I love you more today than I did on that. And I'm like, I know. What, what's she trying to do when she says I love you? She's seeking connection. And to me, the gospel represents this eternal table in which God invites us to fellowship with him in his son and in the spirit for connection. And so there's never... It's like, hey, come sit at the table and have a meal with me. You're like, no, I know that table. You've told me that, but what do you mean you've told me? Is this not God seeking fellowship and intimacy? And see, that was, that was what the gospel was always intended to do. It was to remind us every single day that God still wants fellowship. God still wants you to be close. Yeah, but my heart is this. Yes, that's why there's bread and there's wine and there's oil on the table. So that you would never forget. You're like, yeah, but I'm, I feel like I'm a mess today. And I feel like I'm this and my mind and my thoughts. And he's like, yeah, just come to my table. Whoa, whoa, whoa what happened? Do you remember this cup of blood? I forgive you. Oh, this is the cup of nearness. 
Come on, the word of God. You who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood. You've been brought near. I, I've been thinking about that verse ever since I read it. I don't know that I get it. I mean, I, 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 there's a part of me that mentally, like, yeah, okay, yeah. But near, 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 near to God. Not far, near. Ephesians 2.10. Not far, near. I can't think of a day that I'm ever going to live where I don't need that reality. How many of you, be honest, some, somewhere along this journey you have felt far? <laughs> the only way, I repeat, the only way you will experience nearness is to humble yourself to the truth of the cup the blood and to go this is my nearness but when you ascend in spiritual pride above the truth saying oh I know that you're looking for nearness in a feeling in some other thing and it will simply come when you just humbly like a little child go oh yeah ooh. and right now I feel the Lord I feel near to God and my knees are trembling because this is true and it's eternally true. And this is what the faith is all about. This is what Paul, this was the fullness of his ministry. He would go from place to place and he says, guys, I need you to have one spirit and one mind. Striving, I know we hate that word, but the Bible uses it striving not by myself but side by side with you knowing that we need each other locked arms hey no 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 hey get your eyes off of you come on you're with me we're not going no no we're not doing that we're not doing that introspection no 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 come 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 we're not slipping off into isolation and hiding and do it on your own come lock arms striving side by side what for what for what to keep our eyes and ears on the majesty of the gospel, the majesty of this man, Jesus. No, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Don't get in your sin, don't, 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 don't get in your flesh. Come here, where are you going? Come here, come back here. You grab, no, no, we're going this way. We will be ready for his return. We will be ready, we will be ready. This is the faith of the gospel. Now, now we can get fired up and I, I wanna like preach this whole I'm gonna keep preaching till this thing is, till that thing is done on the faith of the gospel. But there's a reason, there's a reason why that, that feels good in this moment, but it's much harder lived out. And it's because we don't know how to deal with our pain. So I want you guys to have this like, you can have this thing in you, and this is really scriptural, this is really biblical, 
but the way you, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says this, he says, test yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. What's he saying? He's saying, I need you to check every so often, like you check the oil, you put the dipstick in and you pull it out, and if it, the oil is black, it's not good. I think that's right, I'm not a mechanic, is that right? Yeah. But if it's like golden, if it's that golden oil, it's good. You're fresh. It's nice. <clears throat> Test yourselves to see that you're in the faith. Or do you not realize this, that Jesus Christ is in you? So when he says examine yourselves, he's not saying I want you to look at you to try to find you. When you examine yourselves, I need you to look in you to see if Jesus is really in there. That's how you know you're in the faith, is you look in and you realize there has been a real, tangible union with God. Now here is where we have to move from in the church, and I'm gonna submit this to you. This is a, this is a pearl, I don't have time to fully unpack it, but this is something that I, you, can, you can do this, and you'll, Lord willing, your spirit will testify this is true. We are moving from an intellectual ascent to some truth that God did, which is Jesus died for me. Jesus, Jesus died for me. Jesus was buried for me. Jesus was resurrected for me. There is a measure of glory in that statement and in acknowledging that to be true. There is a measure of glory. There's a measure of grace in going, I believe that. That is the most elementary baby step of faith. I believe that. And where I believe God is taking us from is, I believe, Jesus, you died for me to a strong faith which says, I have been crucified with Christ. Not, I'm hoping to be crucified with Christ. I have been crucified, meaning, what is that saying? It started with, I saw something, I believe something, and in the course of time and through the ministry of the gospel, I got so close to what I saw that union occurred. Something called spiritual union, where his cross became my cross. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. This, this man was not hoping in something. He was confessing a reality in his heart. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. This is the, speak, the speech of union. That's the strong living faith that I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you. This is where we have to go. I have been crucified with Christ. If you cannot say that with authenticity, guess what? You got room to grow. There's no shame. That's the faith journey. Come on. Now listen, I believe there are seven such confessions. I don't have time to teach and preach all of them, but I'll just give you a few. I have been crucified with Christ. That is a confession of the faith. You ever see that biblically? Like, hold fast your 
confession to the end. What confession? It's the confession of the faith. What is the faith? It's the revelation of Jesus. So I have been crucified to say that is to ultimately have died to the opinions of man. It's to die to living to yourself. It's to completely allow your sin self-nature to be nailed to the cross. I believe Paul was no longer living for himself. You're like, well, how do you prove that? Um, okay. Number one, Romans 9. He says this phrase, I wish that I were cut off from Christ for the sake of my countrymen. You ever unpack that? The most loving statement, I believe, in the entire Bible coming out of a, of a man, not Jesus. He says, if, if me being, how much did he love God? But he was willing to be cut off from God for the sake of other people. Who does that sound like? You think that was poetic language? No, I don't. I think it was the heart of God was formed in a man. Paul was a man. And the heart of God was so formed in him that he so, is that a man living for himself? He's looking at a group of people who are far from God. They're, they're, they're zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. And he's like, And I would give up what I have. I would give up the surpassing worth of knowing him if it meant that these people came in. I don't know about you. That's where I want to go. That's the path I want to be on. I don't want to be on some ministry path that's about me. Oh, I want the love of God. I have been crucified with Christ. That's a confession. That means something. Paul was stoned to death at Lystra. Y'all know that? He was stoned to death. If Paul was living for himself, he would have not gotten up and said, I need to go to these other towns and preach the gospel also. He would have been like, sabbatical time, I'm going to the beach, heading to Malta, praise God. <laughs> Come on. He got up and he continued his ministry because he was a man who had been crucified with Christ. Every single aspect of Jesus' life and work is an invitation to you and I for union. Watch this. Every aspect, every distinction. Why, why distinguish between his life in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in him sitting down on the throne, in him coming back a second time. Why distinguish between those? What's the purpose for us today? The purpose is every single one of those distinct works and aspect of Jesus' life and ministry for mankind is an invitation to you and I for union. And the fruit of union with him at each step produces something altogether different and lovely inside of us. Oh, I don't know that we got that. It's like seven, it's like those game shows, behind door number one. <laughs> and there's this array of unsearchable riches. First Peter talks about the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
Those phrases should freak you out. Subsequent glories? <laughs> what? I have been buried with Christ. There's glory there. I have been resurrected with Christ. Is this not in your Bible? Am I not preaching what's in your Bible? I have been resurrected with Christ. There's an invitation. So when he raised, he's saying, hey, you, can, you don't have to just believe that I did it. You can experience it with me. This is the marvel of the gospel. Can you feel him pulling you closer? I have been raised up with Christ. Does the Bible not teach us in Ephesians that we've been raised up? What was raised up? You remember on the Mount of Olives? 40th day, Ascension Day? What happened? Gravity stopped working on Jesus. And he was raised up. The Bible says we also have been raised up. What kind of of fruit would that produce if you allowed your whole consciousness to be raised up with Christ? Just out of the muck, over the second heavens, into the third heavens. And then, oh, you're like, you think that's good. So like, I, I mean, I could get drunk on any one of these confessions, by the way. I could just get up here and just get, whoa. I have been crucified with Christ. There's so much freedom and glory in that. I have been buried with him. Woo. See, what I love about the distinction, watch this. What's crucified you know is dead, but you can still see it. See, if the lamb wasn't buried, there would be a reminder of sins every year. You remember, you remember they killed a lamb every year and it says in this there was a reminder of sins every time the Day of Atonement came? If Jesus wasn't buried and he was just still on the cross, we'd be reminded, like our sin would have died with him, but we'd be like, wow, I really messed him up. But that's why there's a grave. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't want your nastiness all up there for all to see, I'm gonna put it in a grave. I'm going to put it behind a stone. I'm going to lay it into the depths, put it at the bottom of the sea, bury it so that you never have to look at it again. And then you're like, oh my gosh. And you're like, wow, I don't even know what to look at. And all of a sudden, this beautiful man comes out of the grave. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's like, look at me in all my glory with my side and my, all the stuff. And he's like, you're in me in my resurrection. I feel like Neo in the Matrix, you know? I'm like, <laughs> He's really in there. Oh, it's red. I'm a, I'm a rule guy. Oh, the red man. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave. So I'm gonna, we're gonna pause a second. So then, then he, and then the Bible says we've been raised up with him, and then watch this, watch this. We have been Scoot over, scoot over, scoot over. We have been seated with him. Oh, this is the Christian life. Your Christian life begins in this chair with him. Oh, wow, sit down, sit down, sit down. 
Woo, you have been seated with him. This seat, if you understood the seat that you sat in, this is the Psalm 2 seat. It's the seat of laughter. He who sits in the heavens, what does he do? I know you're not sitting because you're not laughing when you look at the world and the nations raging. Oh, I know when Christians, I was so grieved in 2020, Christians looking at the world, they weren't laughing. They're like, oh, dude, can you believe what the world is doing? I'm like, yes, I can. Why are you surprised that the world is being the world? Why are you surprised that the nations are raging and he who sits in the heavens laughs? My, 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 my. Does it mean that he who sits in the heavens doesn't actively shine like a brilliant light in the midst of the scoffing and in the midst of, no, it means that he's king, he's Lord, and he's inviting us to sit, and you abdicate, we abdicate our authority and our position when we complain, when we grumble, and we marvel at the darkness of the world. We do, we abdicate so much of our authority and it proves that we don't have a living, strong faith in the gospel. Because a strong faith, these confessions represent a faith that's real, that you've actually touched it. Does that make sense? It's one thing to believe, oh, I believe I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places, that's awesome. But it's another thing to say, I am seated with integrity. You know when someone's seated because they, there's, there's certain inseparable fruits that come when you touch God in these aspects of his life and ministry. And then the final, I think, confession of the faith is, I will be ready. I will be ready. There's a confession. It's a life that's, that's truly laid hold of his return, and they're going, I'm, I'm going to be ready. I hope this episode has been as impactful to you as it has been to me. I've already listened to it a few times and shared it with a friend. So if you have been impacted by this, I would encourage you just to do the same thing and subscribe to the Braveheart podcast if you haven't already. And we would love to hear from you if there's a testimony that you have about how the Lord is using this podcast to transform your life. We love you. Be brave.